If you could turn to Ephesians chapter 6, it's great to be with y'all. I see many familiar faces. Bob, I remember when Bob first came to our Alpha course and he was not a believer and gave his life to Christ there. I remember doing Mike and Kim's wedding. Um, So many old friends here. Uh, I was here at your very first church meeting. I think that was 11 years ago. I've been here a few times since, but it's been a number of years. And um, for those of you who know me, just celebrated 30 years of marriage. Um, so I've been, I've been at, I was at Covenant Life for 30 years. I was on staff for 25. Um, so 30 years of marriage this year. We have five sons, two are married. We have two at home. Uh, my, my youngest is with me today, Braden. And um, so, but it's a joy to be with you. We've all traveled a long road over the years together. Probably traveled down some roads we didn't anticipate traveling down. Uh, and I hope what we share from God's word today will be a source of encouragement to you. Uh, Ephesians 6, uh, verse 10 through verse 20. Um, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, those testimonies of your work reaching unreached peoples in our community. Lord, we want to be, like Paul says here, ambassadors of your grace. And we just thank you for the privilege of studying your word. We pray that you would encourage the people of this church and each of us, Lord, as we study the word together this morning. Help us to see you clear, more clearly. Help us to trust you more fully. Help us to love you more passionately and help us to obey you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, at uh, chapter 6 of Ephesians, Paul's coming to the end of this book and um, he's spent the first three chapters outlining the incredible work of Jesus Christ uh, in the gospel, and uh, our standing in Christ as forgiven, redeemed, spirit-filled brothers and sisters. It's, it's quite encouraging. And he talks about how the church is a diverse yet united institution. We're made up of many different nations, but we're also united, being built together as a spiritual temple. And the second half of the letter, he's been describing how do we are to live lives worthy of the gospel, that we're to relate differently than we used to relate. We're to treat our spouses, our co-workers, our friends, our children differently. We're to speak differently. We're to live differently. We're to live different lives because of the work of the gospel in us. 
And um, we're here in the final chapter, and in verse 10, Paul begins with the word. If you look at the text, finally, and if you just keep that Bible open, we're going to be going back and forth in this text today, but he says, finally. And that word, it's not like a stop word. It carries with it from here on out. As you go forward, make sure you remember this. What he's saying to them this morning has critical importance for them to live out their personal relationship with God individually and their corporate relationship with God as a people of God together. And it has critical importance to us this morning because what Paul, in summing up his letter, is calling these Christians to is this. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. He's calling Christians to be strong. He says, look at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Why is it so important to be strong in the Lord? What's what's the reason that we need to do that? And, And then the second question we want to answer today is how do we do it? Why is it important and how do we do it? Now, I don't know, you know, in a gathering this size, and maybe some of you here who don't know Jesus Christ personally, you haven't uh, come to a place of faith in Christ. And if you're here there, if you're here this morning, if you're a young person, you haven't put your faith in Christ, you might say, well, you know, that's just your truth. That's Paul's truth. And you maybe just are not so sure you need to be strong in the Lord. (laughs) Well, if you're here this morning and you're not at a place of faith, I just want to say to you, thank you for being here. It takes humility to engage people who are different than you. And thanks for listening. But I want to ask you a question. How do you know that your truth is actually true? And how do you know if your truth will stand up when you get to trouble in your life through the difficult things that we face in our lives? But I think for the majority of people here who are trusting in Jesus, I think we often forget that we need the Lord's strength. And why is that? Why why is it that we don't take Paul's words here and really live out seeking the strength of the Lord. Well, I think there's a couple of different reasons for that. Sometimes we can step back and think, well, the Lord's done the work. we're, We're aware of the fullness and the completeness of the gospel work. And we think, well, I don't really need the strength of the Lord. The Lord's done all the work already. Another wrong idea is sometimes we think, well, I'm not worthy. We're aware of our own sinfulness, our own weakness, our own failures, our own struggles. And we think, eh. I really can't pursue the strength of the Lord because I'm I'm so weak anyway. I'm not worthy. And uh, if if you're in either of those categories, it's it's imperative that you listen carefully today because all of us, every single one of us, needs the Lord's strength. And if we're going to be if we're going to be prepared to face the challenges and the trials that we face in our lives, we're going to face them. Uh, We need the strength of the Lord. But why? Well, let's look at chapter 6 again. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So why do we need to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might? Well, for two reasons. Number one, we have an enemy and we live in an evil day. We have an enemy. Notice in verse 13, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be, may be able to withstand in the evil day. Friends, we are, uh, if we're going to stand strong in the Lord and in the strength of God, we must understand the nature of the fight that we are in, the battle that we are facing. There's a spiritual battle going on. It's not about physical fighting. It's a spiritual battle. You know, and I, I think of our culture. I think we're so fascinated with evil in our culture. Uh, you know, think of the Star Wars thing. There's the, the dark side of the force and the good side of the force. You think of so many science fiction movies. And there's always evil. And it's good versus evil. And we love it when, when good overcomes evil. And where does this fascination come from? Well, because there is evil in the world. And how do we explain it? Well, in the Christian worldview, it's not like there's no unanswered questions. But I remember when we used to go through our Alpha course, with like we, we talk about this, the existence of evil in the world. So it's a question a lot of people who don't know Christ have. Why do we have so much evil in the world? It's not like the Christian worldview answers every question, buttons up every answer, but it has a very satisfying view of these things, and, and it helps us to understand the existence of evil. And here in the pages of the Bible, Paul informs us there is a devil. He is a spiritual being who is not alone, but he has certain powers and principalities in league with him to help him in his opposition against God. And he's the enemy of God, and he is the enemy of God's people. He's the enemy of you and me. And as we seek to live our lives for Jesus Christ, as we seek to live our lives for the glory of God, as we seek to make him known, the devil is scheming against us. It's what Paul is telling us here. And we need to be prepared when he shoots his fiery arrows at us. We need to be prepared. Paul has already introduced us to him in this book. He called him in chapter 2, verse 2, the, the prince of the power of the air. In chapter 4, he tells us, don't give the devil an opportunity in your life. Now, a couple of comments about the devil. He's not an eternally existing evil power. He's possibly a fallen angel. But he is a personal, spiritual being who is in active rebellion against God and has the cooperation of other spiritual beings. He's not omniscient nor omnipresent, but he is influential. And he is evil. And he is a schemer. And he's against God and the extension of his kingdom. He knows every one of your weaknesses intimately and personally. He knows every one of my weaknesses. He knows your history. And he's ready to throw his fiery darts of accusation against us at just the right time to cause us to doubt, to doubt God's goodness, to doubt God's love, to doubt God's word, to feel outside of God's love and to pursue happiness outside of God's will. These spiritual forces oppose the gospel as Paul has talked about it in the book of Ephesians. So why does Paul warn us of the devil? Because he wants us to be prepared. And you and I need to be prepared. You don't want to go into a fight unprepared. We need to be prepared and we need to be ready for battle so we can stand up against God's enemies and our enemy. And there's another reason we need God's strength, and that's the time we live in. Look at verse 13 with me. So we can withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. 
We live between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. It's a time when the kingdom of God has come, but it hasn't come in its completeness. Paul, earlier in referring to this period of time in history, said, look carefully how you walk because the days are evil. He said that in Ephesians chapter 5. The days are evil. We live in a fallen world when the kingdom of God will often be opposed, where evil things occur, we still die. Evil happens. We heard about it this morning in Charlottesville. That's evil. That's just wrong. Racism is wrong. Murder is wrong. But I want you to think about this. The guy who's writing this to us this morning, he's writing it from jail. He's writing it from jail, and he's encouraging us to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. The fact that he's in jail because he's been preaching the gospel and he's been lied about and falsely accused doesn't discourage him from keeping in the fight, does it? All of us who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It is through suffering we enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's going to happen, brothers. Don't be surprised at the trials that you face in this life. The word of God and the hope of the gospel is to help us when we have difficulties, when we have struggles, when we walk through sickness and grief, and when we walk through joy and celebration too. But we need to be prepared. And even though we've been made alive in Christ and the power of sin has been broken, our flesh has not been eradicated. That's why in chapter 4, Paul tells us to put off the old self, which is corrupt through deceitful desires. The flesh is still alive inside of us. So we have three powers at work against us, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. With these three enemies, we're facing a powerful spiritual battle. How do we stand strong in Christ? How do we not fall? If we've got the devil against us, we've got the, the flesh, which the power's been broken, but who, who doesn't feel that flesh still at work in their lives? Who's not tempted to do sinful things? And the world, oh my goodness, the world, it's, it's even the change in the world over the last 15 years have accelerated so rapidly. It's like, it's now, it's, it's not just the world out there. It's in our bedrooms. It's in our living rooms. It's in everywhere. You can get to the world right here on your iPhone. It's like, it's everywhere. The world, and, and we've got to be, we've got to be prepared if we're going to stay strong in the Lord. If we're going to finish this race well. If, like Paul, we're going to say, I've finished my race. So how do we stand strong in the Lord? Well, what Paul has to say to us is very, very important. I ask you to listen carefully. Here's the first point. How do we stand strong in the Lord? By putting on the whole armor of God. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Brothers and sisters, this is a call to arms. Verse 13, the word translated take up is the same word that Paul used in chapter 4 when he said, make sure that you're putting on your new self. It's to get dressed. He's saying get dressed in the armor that God gives you. Put it on. It's a call to arms. You know, we have, I live in northern Virginia, and we have the privilege of having a number of men and women who work in the Pentagon and in the military and all the branches of the service. 
And they go into theaters of war. We have had men and women go to Afghanistan, to Iraq when the war was going on there. They go into very hot spots in Africa. We have one of our members right now in Guam. It is unthinkable, unthinkable that they would go into these places without preparing for battle. They would never do it because they're serious about warfare and they want to win and they want to live and they want to survive. And in battle, we need to be ready. We need to get armed. And there are six pieces of armor here. I'm only going to speak about them briefly. William Gurnall wrote a book, The Christian in Complete Armor. Uh, he was a, a, a Puritan pastor in the 17th century. And it was 1,300 pages long on these six pieces of armor. There's an abridged version that's been of great value to many Christians. I, I commend it to you. It was My wife was greatly benefited by it when she studied it a number of years ago. It helped, really helped her in her spiritual life. We're not going to go 1,300 pages worth, but we're going to survey these six pieces briefly. But let's start with the word of truth. Stand therefore, the belt of truth. The first piece of armor is the belt of truth. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The soldier, his belt gathered his tunic together and it held his sword. And wearing it provided a, a source of hidden strength. One commentator talks about putting on the belt of truth. He says, this refers to knowing and appropriating the truth of one's new identity in Christ <coughs> and developing the practice of speaking and living the truth. Speaking, we speak the truth in love to one another and we live the truth. And you're going to see those two points in all of these wep- in all of these pieces of armor. There's this... There's the active part, and there's the life part, and then there's the, the, the identity part. So there are two ways that truth is being spoken of here. When Paul spoke of the gospel in chapter 1, he called it the word of truth. And when we heard the word of truth, we believed and we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. This is the truth of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. It's the facts. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He died on that cross, paying the penalty for our sins. He was raised to new life. He then ascended to the Father, and now he's seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. And that truth of that gospel gives us a new identity. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But that's the truth that we need to have firmly established of who we are. We are with Christ. We are in Christ. That's the truth that we've got to build our identity out of. You're going to see it explained even further as we go through these pieces of armor. But it's also uh, the idea that believers should not conduct themselves in a way that is inconsistent with the truth of the gospel. So lying and deceit cannot and should not be practiced by believers. We should not lie and speak falsely Why? Because they're an affront to the God of truth. They grieve the Holy Spirit, as Paul said in in chapter 4. That's why Paul says, put away falsehood. Let each each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? We're members of one another. We don't lie to each other. Okay? Second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate covered the back and the chest, the largest area of vulnerability. And this is really crucial to the Christian as well. Friends, these Ephesians have been blessed in Christ Jesus. They've been redeemed by his blood. They've been forgiven of their sins. You know, all people, and this is a fact, outside of Christ are without righteousness. Because no one is righteous. 
which means perfectly upright and obedient. Not one human being, save Jesus Christ, has ever been perfect, has ever perfectly obeyed God's law. In fact, we all fall short of the glory of God, all of us. But now a righteousness from God has been revealed. And by trusting in the work of Christ, we receive that righteousness as our righteousness. And if you and I are going to stand strong in the day of trouble and the strength of his might, we must remember that we have the righteousness of Christ. It's ours. But when we have that righteousness, it also, when you really get a hold of that, when you get a hold of that justification that yours, that truth that you're forgiven, and when God looks at you, all of your past sins are forgiven. And if you're walking in condemnation this morning, <coughs> I just want to say, one of the strategies of the devil is to call into question your status as a forgiven sinner. It's what he loves to do. He loves to attack you and say, okay, that's it. You've done that enough times, no more. You're, you're not God's child anymore. And he wants us to think we're worthless. Well, the fact is, the Apostle Paul, when he was talking about these Ephesian Christians, you know what he called them four times in chapter 1? He called them saints. They're saints because they have the righteousness of Christ. And if you have the righteousness of Christ, you're a holy one of God. And putting on the breastplate of righteousness means trusting in that. And it also means, again, putting off the old and putting on the new. Putting, living in consistency with that identity. Because you know what happens? If we, if we don't live in consistency with that identity and we do begin to practice sin, that leaves us vulnerable to the devil's lies, doesn't it? You know, when we give into our sinful nature, which we all have done at times, when we give into that sinful anger or that lust or that lying or whatever it is, that's when the devil really has a field day with us. So putting on the breastplate of righteousness also means to be working against that as well. The third piece of armor is the readiness of the gospel shoes on our feet, <coughs> having put on the readiness given by the gospel of grace. Commentators see two aspects of this. One is the readiness that comes from the gospel as a source of stability in our lives, or it could refer to the preparation of being ready to share the gospel. Most commentators believe it means the latter, and, and I think so too, because Paul writes in Romans 10, how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. So when believers are prepared to sh and ready to share the gospel, we're putting on the armor of God. Isn't that encouraging? That's important to recognize because sometimes I think we lack power in our lives and we lack power in our churches because we're not thinking of the mission that God has called us to. But we're stronger when we're thinking of the, 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 the mission that Christ has called us to. We're going to walk more strongly in Christ. And this readiness comes from knowing and understanding the mystery of the gospel and, and knowing God's heart for lost people and being ready as we interact with people to share gospels in, the gospel's invitation to men and women to come and receive the good news of Jesus Christ. And when we share the gospel and we declare it, we don't ever save anyone. We declare the gospel, God saves them, he brings them in, he harvests them, he's the Lord of the harvest. And when we do that, we are engaging in spiritual warfare in its truest sense. We're breaking down the kingdom of darkness and we're bringing people into the kingdom of light. And such joy comes when people come into the kingdom, don't they? Don't you love baptisms? That's my favorite thing in church is baptisms. Hearing people testify, Jesus Christ has saved me and he's changed my life. And I love him. I love to hear people testify like that. So we announce the good news. God delivers men and women. 
The final three pieces of armor, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. Look at verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The shield of faith, sometimes we think of the Roman soldier and we think of that little round shield, but that's not the shield this is referring to. This is referring to the square shield. It's about the size of a door. And a soldier would be able to get down behind it and hide behind it. So when the most feared weapon, well, one of the most feared weapons of the enemy was when they would rain down arrows, often tipped with tar and lit on fire, and they would set on fire anything that they hit. Well, these shields were designed, they made of wood, and they were designed, they were drenched in water, and they were designed to put out those arrows when they, and protect the soldier from those arrows when they came raining down upon them. It's faith that guards us from the attacks of, of the enemy. Whatever this world throws at us, and it can throw some doozies at us, can it? We, 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 you know, uh, I, I hope you don't mind. We used to be young. When I married them, they were young. I was young too. I'm not young anymore. It's reality. I'm, I'm, that's, uh, you just see things in life that you don't anticipate. You experience things with people you don't anticipate. You, you have troubles that you thought, mm, I didn't think I would ever have those troubles. And you see, that's when doubts begin to creep in. Is God really in control? Does God really love me personally? We have fears of abandonment, fears about the cross being for us. Fears is, what have I given my life to? And then you have that real fear, because the older you get, the closer you come to that final finish line, that river, as John Bunyan calls it, that's icy cold that we all have to cross, the river of death. And the devil specializes in your weaknesses. He's special, and he just loves when, when you're in a difficult place in a time of trouble to just throw that fiery dart and set your world on fire. And it's faith, simple faith in God, in Jesus Christ, in who he is, and what he's done, and in his word. It's simple faith that is a shield from all those fiery darts and that will help you to fight off those fears and those doubts. I have a friend, some of you know her in our church. She's suffering from cancer. And it was rather sudden diagnosis back in April. And um, right before her first chemo, which was to be seven hours long, she began to feel this great fear. And it was a spiritual attack, which is, and it's, that's an understandable one, you know. Sometimes my fears are little things, but, and she, she prayed the way that Paul is encouraging us to pray through faith. She remembered who Christ was. She got down on her knees and she was praying. And she said God really met her in that moment. He spoke to her and he said, he said something along, I, 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 she sent me an email about it. She said, he said something along the lines of, don't be afraid because I'm with you in the midst of it. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? That's the way God speaks. God says that the, the most 
most common thing that God has said to his people over the history of all the Bible, look it up, I think it's over 50 times, he says, don't be afraid. Over 50 times. He said from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's amazing. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Shield of faith. You know, spiritual warfare, I'm just going to say this to you, it's won one battle at a time. You can't win the war, but you're going to have to take that shield of faith one battle at a time and let it put out those darts of that devil because he knows how to get at you. And the helmet of our salvation. This, uh, just uh, two more here. The helmet of our salvation. You can see how these pieces of armor are beginning to build on each other. A helmet is a source of great protection for the soldier. It guards his head from attack. Our helmet is salvation. That's our helmet. It protects our head. Twice in chapter 2, Paul says these words. He says it to you and he says it to the Ephesians. You have been saved. You have been saved. You have been saved. If you've trusted in Christ Jesus, you have been saved. You know... In chapter 2, he, he prays that they would have the eyes of their hearts. Listen to this. The eyes of their heart enlightened to know what is the immeasurable power toward those of us who believe. According to the work of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, not only in this age, but in the one to come. So where is Christ Jesus seated now? In the heavens, at the right hand of God, far above every power and principality and dominion. Okay, where are you seated when you're saved? Well, listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians 2. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, because he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and you are raised up with him and you are seated with him in the heavenly places. We've been saved. And we have access to all the blessings of the ascended Christ. He's above all rulers and authorities. And because we've been saved, we have been raised up with him. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So now putting on the helmet of salvation means realizing and appropriating our, our new identity in all of Christ Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and session at the right hand of God. That's what it means. We just we take it on as our own. It's ours. So the sixth uh, weapon or piece of armor here is the sword of the Spirit. And we're going to look at that now. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sixth piece of armor is the sword of the Spirit. It's worth noting that all six pieces of armor, the sword is the only one that is actually an offensive weapon. I mean, you obviously can use things like a shield as a, a, an offensive weapon, but this can be used clearly for attacking as well as defending. Now, the Word of God, as we've even experienced this morning, it's a powerful word, isn't it? It's a means of defense against these demonic forces and attacks. But it also can be an offensive weapon. And just as the devil can use uh, accusations, the Lord can bring to mind scriptures to us when we're sharing the gospel with others. And we can you bring to mind when we're fighting against the devil. And we're going to talk about how we appropriate the word of God as we walk with Christ in just a moment, as we say, okay, well, how do we then do this? Second point now. We're going to turn there. How do we do this? But I really appreciated those testimonies, and I really appreciate what Marshall and Tammy are doing, because 
it's just getting out there and doing the things that Christ has asked us to do. And when we do that, he promises to help us. And the word of God is there. But and this is not in my notes, but I, I just want to say something. I've noticed my, in my experience uh, as a pastor, I've been a pastor for over 25 years now, I find people don't open this book as much as they used to. And I, I just think it really is, uh, it's, it's, it's for your good. It's not because we have to read. It's like, it, I don't read this in the morning because I have to read it. But this is how we get to know Jesus. It's how we get to know him and, and how we cultivate our affections for him. And we experience his power. It's how we learn about what we're supposed to pray. So how do we stand strong in the Lord? We put on the full armor of God. And number two, and this will be briefer, we pray in the Spirit. Look at verse 18. We pray in the Spirit at all times with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. A lot of all's there. We will stand and we will withstand by praying at all times in the Spirit. Prayer is foundational for the deployment of these weapons. We can't separate these two points. They have to be put together. Note how he, how many times all is used in this verse 18. All times, all prayer, all perseverance for all the saints. He uses different words for prayer, but basically he's piling up words to say, we need to be praying all the time about all things. I mean, I, you can't get much more specific than he's getting here, can we? And Paul's modeled this for us. He's modeled in his first prayer for the Ephesians in chapter 1. And if you ever have trouble praying, just go to Ephesians. Go to chapter 1 and pray that prayer. Go to Ephesians chapter 3 and pray that prayer. He prays in Ephesians chapter 1 that the eyes of their heart will be enlightened. And think about that. The eyes of their... Do our heart have, does our heart have eyes? What does he mean by that? Think about that. I want you to think about that. If you're a young person, what does it mean to have the eyes of your heart enlightened? He's praying that they will grow deeper in their understanding of what we've talked about here, about what Christ has done. They're going to understand that better. And that he uses words like the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those who believe. So how can you be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might? Pray that your heart will be opened to see the greatness of his power towards you. There's, there's, there's the difference between sort of head knowledge and heart knowledge, right? I mean, a lot of us could probably write treatises on character of God and things like that, but that's really not that useful to us. Unless it, and, and I'm, I know I'm kind of dividing things that shouldn't be divided because truth that we understand and experience, we have to digest it. But Paul is praying here in a way that we have to pray if we're going to grow in our love for Christ. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts so that our eyes will be open, so that we'll experience that strength. It's not enough just to read our Bibles. We have to pray our Bibles back to God. And we ask the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, open our minds, open our hearts to understand and receive the length and the depth and the height of Christ's love for us. The knowledge, that knowledge, it's the difference between you sharing the gospel with someone who sits there with glassy eyes, right? We know that in, we know that in, in conversion, you can, if you're talking to someone who doesn't know Christ and you share the gospel, they just, there's a wall there. Their eyes are, the minds of unbelievers' eyes are blinded. But sometimes as Christians, we need a truth in our souls. 
And we got to pray that truth. We got to pray, God, help me to experience that truth. Have, have you ever been there? Many times I've been there. Yesterday I was just struggling with something that had happened. I was anxious and I just called up my friend. I said, Hey, dude, I just need to pray. Can I take 15 minutes? Can I drop by your house? I just dropped by your house. We prayed for 15 minutes. We prayed the word. And I experienced the peace of God. Praying at all times, with all prayer, with all supplication, keeping alert, with all perseverance. The New American Standard says, be on the alert. The King James Version says, watching. Because what the devil wants, more than anything else, is for us to fall asleep. To forget the truths that we've learned. To forget that we're in the middle of a battle. Just to think, oh well, we're just tired. You know, there's, how are we going to go on? How I many is it worth going on? That's what he wants. He wants to fall asleep. No, there is a spiritual battle. You have an enemy. He wants to get you. So Paul says, persevere. Keeping alert with all perseverance. You know what that word means? Keeping alert with all perseverance. These words together, it means literally, one means to stay awake and one means to keep going. Stay awake to the reality. And and one commentator says, if you put these two together, it means to persist obstinately in something. I bet you, I'm just going to say this, many of us have at one time or another been called obstinate. Maybe, I'm not sure. Maybe you've not ever been there, but... Maybe someone has called you obstinate at some point. It's not a compliment. But may it be said of all of us that we're obstinate in prayer. Amen. We're like that widow. We're not going to give up. Because, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's worthy of all of our lives, all of our affections. Let's keep praying in the Spirit, asking Him to open the eyes of our hearts so we can see what's going on. We can see the battles around us. We can grow in our affections for Him. We can make supplication for all the saints. Note that. As we're closing here, I just want to say this. You want to stand strong in the Lord? It's not a solo act. God never designed us to be strong in the Lord alone. He designed us to do it with other saints. And that's why part of being strong is to be praying for the other saints in in, in the church here. Having some difficulties? You got some names on that prayer list? Get some names on that prayer list. Ask each other, how can I be praying for you? And be praying for all the saints. And be praying, pray for other churches in your area. Pray for the lost. But be praying together. I love, we have a group of, of folks in our church, they just will, there's about 18 of them, and we have just, if you want to be on that team, you can, but we don't, we don't try to get everyone on that team, it's just the people with that gift. If you want to be on it, you can, but if they will, if you have a prayer need, you just send it in, and they just take it, and they take it before the Lord, and, and we've had some real serious um, trials, a, a number of our members have walked through some very difficult things in the last year. And I just heard testimony after testimony. They feel like they're being carried along. Because they've felt the prayers of the saints carrying them along. And if you've ever been there, and you've been with the people of God through that trial, there's a big difference between going through a trial by yourself 
and going through a trial with the people of God. So let's be praying for each other so that we can stand strong in his might together. So the church of Jesus Christ can be strong so the Son of God can be made known and his glory can spread to the ends of the earth before he comes back. So how are we to stand strong in the Lord in the strength of his might? We're to take up his full armor and we're to pray in the spirit. You know, um, I used to sing a song. I'm sure many of you did to my sons. I was talking to Rebecca before the meeting and we... We knew each other before we had any kids. and uh, But you know the song, Yes, Jesus Loves Me. We are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. That's really what Paul's saying here. We're weak, but he's strong. Let's appropriate what he's called us to appropriate. Let's take what he's given us. Let's make sure we get dressed every day we get up. Let's be praying that God will continue to reveal these things to us. So, God willing, we'll continue to serve the Lord together in the years to come. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words that encourage us so. Lord, we, we just acknowledge we get tired. Lord, we come to the end of ourselves. Lord, we thank you that when we get to the end of ourselves, Lord, we find that you are still there. And that's what we pray, Lord, today. You just help us to put this word into practice, Lord. We, we, we don't want to just be hearers of the word, Lord. We want to be doers. And so I just pray that you'd meet every person here. There would be no condemnation for anyone who's in Christ Jesus. That they would be encouraged by your love for them and your desire for them to experience the depth of that love at a deeper level. And I just pray for every person here, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see the height, the length, and the breadth, and the depth of the love of Christ Jesus for each one of us. Lord, open our eyes to your love so that we would be filled with affection for Jesus Christ and his kingdom and his purposes in the earth. And we just play the simple and small part you've given us to play, Lord. We, 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 we don't want to be great. We want to be humble servants for you. We want to make you great. We want to make your name glorious. We really don't want our own names to be made great, Lord. We love you. We want to live for you. So I just pray you'd meet men and women here, young people. Lord, give them a passion for your glory and Open their hearts to your love for them. In Jesus' name.